Welcome to Pod Save Africa. 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 Welcome. Hello, welcome back to Pod Save Africa. My name is Akiande Aderile, and I have the pleasure of being here with my wonderful co-host, Michael Aderile. Michael, how have you been? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Okay, I'll stop. Yeah, I can't <laughs> sing as well as she can, so I'll just respect myself. How you been? We good. We out here, you know, you know, surviving. Surviving. Surviving, surviving. 2021 was, I think, largely a great year. Yeah. But, you know, this overwhelming COVID, all that's going on, you know, that. It's, it's hard to be objectively like, hey, you know, there were good things happening, but, you know, there's death and despair all around me. Right. It's hard to do that. Yeah. And even just because of the pandemic, it made every little thing harder. So things that you would have relatively done with ease becomes just a little bit harder. Um, and that even comes with the joys or taking in the joys becomes just a little harder. Um, and so really hope that we get through this pandemic soon. But it, I mean, we both in the beginning when we started covering stories around the pandemic, we both saw it lasting past a year or two years. So we're not surprised um, yeah. so far, but it's it's been taking a toll mentally, physically, emotionally, all overall. Yeah, I agree 1,000%. Yeah. So listeners, also check in with us. Let us know how you're doing. Um, We hope that you're in good spirits despite everything that's going on. And, you know, we're glad to be able to to stay connected with you if you let us. Yeah, yeah. And we wish you a phenomenal 2021. One a lot better than 2022. Man, what's happening? You want to go back a year? It's been like... It feels like it's been like half a decade since the beginning of the pandemic. It's been it's been a long time. It's been a long time. But um happy twenty twenty two. We hope your twenty twenty two is exponentially better than your twenty twenty one, regardless of how good or bad it was. Um and yeah, let's kick off the year by discussing kind of a recap of some of the interesting stories from from last year. Yeah. Our first story takes us to Sudan. Akedi, where is Sudan again? For our listeners who may not know. Sudan is in East Africa. Um, It is, it's had a complex history um, growing and shrinking as a country, Mm -hmm. Um, but it borders Eritrea, Ethiopia, Chad. So it's actually not that far from Nigeria. Um, And then uh, it also borders Egypt. Egypt is just north of it. And then, of course, south of it is South Sudan. Yeah, thanks for that um, brief geography lesson. And for those of our listeners too, Sudan is actually 
one of the countries or is the country that Nigeria um, played against today in the Afghan um, match that Nigeria unfortunately brutally bit. Um, kind of take pride in that a little bit, but it, things will get better. Don't worry, Sudan. Um, but anyways, it probably outside, won't in soccer. In soccer, things will get better in soccer. Well, no, I hope it, things get better generally, not just in yeah. soccer. Uh, well, I hope I think things will get better in everywhere else. Yeah, in soccer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, anyways, back to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just going to be talking a little bit about Sudan's democracy. There's been ongoing protest um, towards moving towards a more democratic path in Sudan for a while. Protests started back in 2019, but have continued since now, and a lot has happened along the way. Um, one of which included the ousting of the country's prime minister, um, Abdallah. Hamdok. I hope I pronounced that well. Akedi, did I pronounce that well? I think you did a good job. Okay. Yeah. So he was um he was ousted in October 25th, 2020. Um and after that there there was kind of like a uh an agreement reached for like an intermediary stage of of power between civilian and um I'm sorry, between military and, and c- civilian rule. Um, however, he was reinstated again in November of 2020, November 21, 2020, after an agreement of, with the military, which, which seemed to, at that time, they thought that would end the unrest in the streets and kind of quiet down the protest, but it did not. It did not. Um, since then, um, many pro-democracy people in Sudan kind of saw that deal as a betrayal, the deal to put him back in power. Um, and they saw, you know, Hamdok kind of shaking hands with the military people and they didn't like anything of that. Uh, all in all, eventually led to another um, resignation from Hamdok. Um, and, you know, there's still largely unrest um in in democracy against that i get any thoughts sure so so i think the primary issue here is that the military still for all intents and purposes is still in charge despite promises about a civilian government in fact some of the verbiage from the current military uh leader was that oh that he was going to appoint a new uh, prime minister? I believe his name is Al Burhan, um, and it's just you know the promises made by a military that I think the timeline was something between a couple of months to a year they were going to transition, um, and you know these we've gotten to the point now where they should have made this transition fully, and. Uh, you know, Sudan should be led by a, a civilian government, whatever that looks like, and however effectively that that or is, that is um, perhaps by elections, which is a simple you know solution for them. But now we're at the point where there simply isn't there simply isn't that transition happening, um, and the hope really is the, the positive here. However, is that you know the, the power of protest has been shown to be fairly effective. In creating change, um, hopefully the people of Sudan continue to demand what they what's necessary and what's needed for them. Um, and and international pressure continues to 
to mount on, you know, the, the military so that that democratic transition actually actually happens, and then you know the military takes a different position in the in the uh, in the government. So, um, yeah, those are my initial thoughts there. Yeah, um, as you've mentioned, Sudan is one of those countries that has gone through many many changes, uh, and I think. I think moving towards civilian role, moving towards democracy is a step in the right direction. And hopefully these um, changes that they go, that they're going through up until that point are beneficial and are, is done with the least amount of bloodshed. Um, Cause oftentimes situations like this involve bloodshed and, and that is never a good thing. Yeah, I can anyone take us into our next story. So our next story involves the Ethiopian civil war. Um, I think it'd be helpful to start by providing some context as, as to what has happened over the past year and a half or so um, in Ethiopia. Um, the conflict initially started, the conflict started well before actually any military engagement. So prior to the current administration in Ethiopia, the TPLF, um, the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, was the leader in a coalition of other parties that effectively ran Ethiopia. Um, for during that period, there was lots of dissatisfaction by people, uh, you know, repression of, of dissent, things like that, military, pres- military presence, and then a very um, aggressive stance towards Eritrea, a country with which Ethiopia fought a war um, decades ago. So, so th- that's kind of the context. And then in 2018, um, Abiy Ahmed, uh, the current prime minister, got elected into power. At which point he disbanded the previous coalition party and created a new one um, that you know is accused of sidelining the TPLF. Um, as you'd imagine, you know he's getting into power trying to remove the previous dominant party. Um, in addition to that, he also did a lot of things like release a lot of political prisoners, um, sign a peace treaty with Eritrea, with which for which he actually won the Nobel Prize. Um, and then, you know, of course, as you'd imagine, these things angered the previous ruling party, the TPLF, who at that time was primarily um, ruling a ruling the, the Tigray re- region of, of Ethiopia. Um, then um, what happened was that uh, there was, it was election season and the TPLF held an independent election um an independent election that's of course uh, the, the main the actual government says hey this is this is legal um that led to some contests and you know very strong words thrown back and forth eventually um eventually uh an attack was at an well, the government of Ethiopia accused uh the TPLF of an attack on a a military base um, or a military base, which then you know prompted a response on the fourth of November of twenty twenty um, as a as a military offensive against you know regional forces in Tigray. Um, this ha- you know crisis has been going on for for effectively the, the better part of the last year, and um, you know there've been there've been lots of different I guess key points in it. Um, there's a lot of, you know, 
it's quite a complex situation, which means that you know a lot of the reporting on it is not is not as in-depth as as I really would have hoped it would be. Um and I think some of what we provide here tries to tries to dice through some of that nuance. Um on one hand, you know, the the government of Ethiopia to some degree could make the argument that it's protecting its sovereignty or doing things that you know governments would do um if if there there was any form of rebellion within its its ranks. Um However, or what would do, whether right or wrong, of course, I'm not moralizing that. Um, however, on, on the other hand, the, the war, the, the toll of the war, especially on the Tigray region, has been so catastrophic. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people in risk of, of, of starving, as I said, roughly 400,000 people um, starving, farming-like uh, conditions. Um, they say the majority of Tigray, 6 million people are in need of of uh of aid um but you know in and all of that it's still a war um and this is a deep painful cost of war which is why i think that the, the primary goal now is peace um at the point when um at the point when uh so no abe ahmed of course for context you know was the he was the 100th winner actually of the Nobel peace prize in 2019 um at some points last year he actually himself led a fight back against the TPLF um, as they were bearing down on the capital of Addis Ababa. Um, they say he, uh, they say he, you know, led a fight back that, that kind of pushed back the the TPLF near the end of last year, and um, that's kind of the current situation as is. Um, it's it's deeply devastating from a humanitarian angle. Um, it, it is it is it is war. Um, I, I think maybe a solution involves the international um, international elements coming and saying, "Hey, you know, we need to we need to find a peaceful way to move forward um, that that satisfies or at least you know satisfies the core needs of all different parties and allows Ethiopia to proceed peacefully." Um, there's of course a t- significant taint to Abiy Ahmed's image as someone who, you know, s- you know, led, led you know. Started peace, made started his government by signing something that was significant from a peace perspective um, in the Ethiopian Eritrean relations, but effectively um, being part of what opened another fight with the Tigray, um, with the Tigray, Tigray and um, People's Liberation Front, Front, I believe is what it's called. Um, but then I come before I ramble into eternity, I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, um, so we've covered this ongoing uh, situation before and it's always been interesting from the onset one a few interesting facts that things really started to go downhill once Ahmed Abi was given that Nobel Peace Prize um, and that was that is one big irony and then even more so that depending on who you ask, depending on which Ethiopian or which Eritrean you ask, they have very different perspectives on what's going on. And as an outsider, I feel like I can't speak too much to it because one, I guess I, I can't relate into much detail. And the perspective I have is pr- perspective of what has been told to me or what I've read. Um, but so, so the sense I'm getting is that the TPLF don't they're they don't like the changes that that are happening around them. One with 
the um, reunion of Eritrea and Ethiopia. um, And two, because they, like you mentioned, they were one of the more powerful fronts and one of the more powerful ethnic groups um, in Ethiopia. And now they are no longer. Uh, I was very optimistic for when Ahmed Abi came into power and he was young, you know, he seemed to have the support of of many Ethiopians. But just seeing the way things are going, I think that there's wrong on both sides. And like you mentioned, it probably needs a third party to step in and help resolve this. I'm, however, worry, wary that that third party should come from the Western um, world because often that comes with stipulations. You know, um, often that peace comes with uh, comma. So I'm hoping that other African leaders are paying attention and can step in and do step in. But I'm also not not holding my breath on that either. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where my headspace is at about this. Perfectly said, Anika. Perfectly said. Would you like to take us to our next story about uh, the late and great? Yeah. So in our next story, we are unfortunately going to announce the passing of um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Our family actually had the the pleasure of meeting meeting Archbishop Tutu a, f- a few years ago. Um, we were going to South Africa to visit some family there and ran into him at the airport. And we have this picture that we took with him that we very proudly show off in the living room. Um, I think I was maybe like 12 back then and you were 13, maybe. I, I don't remember exactly. Yep. Yeah, I, about about that. And, and so I, I don't even think I really understood who he was or didn't get the gravity of it, but my parents are so excited. Um, and but unfortunately, he passed away on the 26th of December 2021. Um, the reports are saying that it was cancer. He was uh, he 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 got cancer in 1997, prostate cancer, and has been managing it since then. But unfortunately, passed away due to cancer um, last year. If for those of you who don't know, Archbishop Desmond Tutu is from South Africa. He's one of the more famous um, anti-apartheid and uh, leaders in South Africa. He's also um, side by side with with all the greats that you can imagine. Um, he died when he was 90, so he lived a very long life and his message was always peace, always striving for nonviolence, um, especially in the anti-apathide movement. He even won a Nobel Peace Prize for that in 1984. He died on uh, in Cape Town um, with his, under the guidance of his family, thankfully. Yeah. I had any thoughts? Yeah. Um, I still remember that photo on our um, on our uh, shelf in our house, um, really just such a kind and wonderful individual. And I think for context for a lot of people, South Africa did actually actually did not gain freedom from apartheid till 1996, I believe. Uh, it might have been 1994. But I think it was 1994. 1994, yeah, I believe it was 1994. So 10 years before 
um, before you know the South Africa would even see its its freedom. Um, he was already willing a Nobel Prize for his calls, specifically around um, nonviolent means of protest, and then calling in the global community to 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 stand against apartheid. Um, lots of African countries had already well before been been kind of fighting, co-fighting apartheid with the ANC and all that. But like you find that you find that much of the international community, the you know, many, many countries, England, of course, the United States, the Dutch, most of Europe were fully down. They were like, yo, you know, keep keep it running. Y'all, y'all doing great. You're doing great, sis. Um, and I think I think Bishop Desmond Tutu was instrumental in changing that narrative globally, which was significantly influential, of course, in, in the eventual um, pressure that led to to the the white apartheid government, uh, at least conceding uh, some power at that time. So um, I think it was very important at the time. Um, I hope the journey towards equality in, in South Africa continues um, for all of people, of course, all colors. Um, I, I think it's a, a critical journey that's not over. I think for some reason we discuss South Africa's history like it's over already. Like, hey, you know, all the black people, everything's good now. Um, that is definitely not the case. Um, and and I think it's important that we continue to center. It would make it would make him proud that we continue to center the mission of 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 course a peaceful um, uh, journey towards equality of opportunity um, and the betterment of outcomes for all. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. Would you like to take us to the next story? Gladly. You're inclined to? What do you mean you're inclined to? No, I mean, I agree with you. Sorry, sorry. You're just... <laughs> you're inclined to? <laughs> okay. All right, I'm going to take us into the next story. So before we, as we continue to our next stories, we'd be remiss not to discuss the uh, coronavirus pandemic. Um, It's ravaged the world effectively now for the past three years or so, uh, since 2019, we're into 2022. And um, Africa has certainly seen the impact of this this, uh, pandemic and this this disease with a little over 10 million uh, confirmed cases uh, since, since it started and um, about 230,000 deaths um, with South Africa, Tunisia, Egypt, Morocco, and, and Ethiopia being the, the highest volume of, of countries from a case count and death perspective relative to the rest of the continent. Um, with South Africa being certainly uh, overwhelming, uh, has I think South Africa has three times the number of recorded cases as Morocco. Now, of course, I caveat for recorded cases um, just because access to to testing or even uh, proclivity to test may not be as frequent in some other places. However, um, you know, even as we we look at this, um, you know, access to vaccinations is still very difficult on the African continent for most people, and even where access exists, um, ability that is still segregated by by wealth, and you know, it's critically important that the international community steps in to make sure that there are adequate vaccines for everybody and there's there's a, a, a appropriate rollout program. Um, we've seen success with things like polio in much of West Africa. And I think this gives us the opportunity to redeploy that model to make sure people are protected with life-saving vaccines. It's a region that has largely low um, vaccine hesitancy. 
and um, it's critical that we, make, we do the right thing to to save lives. Um, in the meantime, um, I think those of us who are going through it day to day need to make sure that we're exercising appropriate caution, continuing to wash and sanitize our hands, wear masks as frequently as possible, um, and and you know do the necessary things to make sure that us and our loved ones are are safe. So. Um, those are my notes on the coronavirus in Africa. There's certainly been an impact. Those 230,000 lives that were lost, that we've recorded, that are lost are significant and, uh, and were of value. Um, so so let's be, hopefully as we move into 2022, we can do better to make sure fewer, if, if, if at all, no lives are lost. Um, Michael, any thoughts? My first thought is, get your vaccines y'all please please get your vaccines even though the new variant omicron has been reported to be i guess less less damaging than delta or even the original variant it is still still rather um, difficult to go through. I think you've seen more, more and more people get infected and struggle through it and thankfully to recovery, but it's not easy. Like um, you get sick, sick and you just kind of want to prevent any possibility of that at all. I'm also kind of angered by, I guess, the response from the Western world towards African countries in terms of COVID. We saw that when South Africa first found the Omicron um, um, variant and the way the rest of the world responded to that, that was, I mean, if there's any testament to how the African continent is treated, that was it, right? You know, um, shutting of borders, uh, trying to hone um, keep out South Africa and other African countries like as if the virus did not probably come from somewhere else. And then reports started coming out that, oh, the variant was spotted in other European countries before South Africa found it. And what many Western countries fail to recognize is that one, South Africa has really good technology and that's why they were able to spot it. And two, they should not be punished for reported it in the first place it should act, they should actually be embraced and everybody should come together and say okay now that we spotted it what can we do to make sure that the impact is not as not as high instead they were like okay we're going to shut you guys y'all deal with it on your own <laughs> and let us know when you're done peace out you know and that was really damaging and it, it was such a rash decision it was taken very quickly and also removed very quickly to show the weight of they fully did not understand what they were doing when they did it so why do it, you know? Um, yeah. So <laughs> before I get too upset, uh, I'll just end that there. But yes, I'll go back to my first point. So please get vaccinated. Please. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so now on to our next story. Or Akede, did you have anything you want else? Anything yeah. else you wanted to add? Yeah, just one more contribution on, on South Africa's uh, actions for Omicron. You know, I think they showed a tremendous amount of leadership and doing the right thing, thing that, quite frankly, very few other countries have shown, European, American, otherwise. Um, we've had a variety of variants evolve in many other places. South Africa very quickly lets people know without even knowing how dangerous it could be or or what the and and even you know being fully aware of the potential consequences which eventually happened in terms of people locking themselves off from from the country and what what bugs me to no end is that you know 
as as a an international community, we say, hey, reporting is the right thing. We're a global partnership, you know, we're all in this together. Um, and then the moment somebody does the right thing, finds a a, a variant of the virus that likely didn't even that actually we're finding now that didn't originate in South Africa, the first thing we do is is shut them off. Um and I, I think it just it just um it's it, it just a poor reflection on much of the current leadership and would have been a good example for us to have shown, hey, you've done the right thing. How can we partner together to limit the spread, to understand the, the consequences? How can we give you resources in the near term? How can we improve our testing at all of our borders to make things better? Like there's, there's a better set of outcomes that could have happened and certainly the seclusion or the like, you know, hey, we just going to block off that whole region, throw in a bunch of countries somewhere close to South Africa that that's, uh, weren't at all even involved and just say, hey, you know, you guys, people from those countries can't come. It's just absurd and, and you know, just poor. Um, but yes, those are those are my final thoughts. I go on to you. Yeah, I mean, to mention even the other countries that they threw in there, like you said, not at all related. Nigeria was on that list too, and we are not remotely close to South Africa. I mean, you can make the argument of Nigeria has a lot of people, so why not just include them? But still, and the decision was so rash that it affected people's travel plans during that time. People had to quickly, you know, call cancel plans just to have things reverted a few weeks later and have to try and um, make do with what was left of their plans, you know, and their real lives on the line when all these decisions are being made and their their real families being impacted. And I just, I would like the world to start thinking more about the impact of these decisions that they make, especially around the pandemic. But this is for everyone, not just people in government, even for each each of us as an individual. We need to start thinking more, not just about ourselves, but for the impact of others around us with the decisions that we make as regards to the COVID pandemic. Okay, now I'll get off my box and move on to the next story, which is coming out of the Central African Republic. As you can guess, this is a country in da, 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 Central Africa. Um, and so we bring a story of rebels that launched an attack on that on on that country's capital, uh, Bangui, on Wednesday. So this was uh, last week, Wednesday. Um, and the forces um, launched an attack before being pushed back on. Um, the the attack was it was shortly after the more recent president was re-elected. President Faustine Arkangetwanjeri was re-elected on December 27th. And you can almost say that the attack was as a response to that. Um, but the attack was repelled by the blue helmets together with the Central African forces. Um uh, thankfully, not too many lives were lost, but every life that is lost matters. A Rwandan member of the force uh, was killed, uh, while another was wounded, and then a number of uh, of the attackers were also killed, while others were arrested. Um, so they came in; the attackers came in large number to to take over that uh, capital of Central African Republic, um, but they were pushed back for, for doing so. Uh, Akane, any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, so the crisis in the Central African Republic has been going on for quite a while now. Over the past, I think, it's just been recurring over the past couple of years. Um, there are lots of interesting dynamics there. There are lots of outside country involvement, as you can see. Um, we talk a little bit about you know Russia's involvement in sending forces there, and the UN's peacekeeping uh, network's involvement as well. It's it's just crucial to understand that there's like it's it is one of the most underreported, but still highly complex and just highly. I mean, the number of casualties has just been astounding in that region. So um, it's critically important that it's a region we start to pay a little more attention to, um, and and hopefully we can put together enough info to 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 do some in depth reporting sometime in the future. Yeah. So do you want to take us to our next story? So our next story is actually one on a much more positive note. Um, our, our collective idolo, um, Ngozi Konjo-Wiela, um, last year, that's a big, a big deal, um, was she made history by becoming the uh, seventh director general of the WHO. The, uh, the the governing body has has never had an African or a woman to be chosen as as a director general, so um, it's just fantastic to see her term will be lasting until I think her term began the first of March twenty twenty one and her term uh, which is renewable will expire on uh, August twenty twenty five. Um, it's just such a significant milestone. She's always been one of the most capable. Um, individuals in African leadership, um, being the minister of being minister in two, I believe, in two Nigerian governments, and succeeding in in her roles on both occasions, and um, has spent the last year or so, the last couple of years, I feel like cultivating relationships and kind of you know developing and refining a network within the global community that has been um has that this i believe this wto leadership will benefit a lot from and i think was even advantageous even as she made her bid for for uh for uh the wto chair um uh, one interesting factor though is that during the uh donald trump presidency um they actually she the, the u.s actually tried to block her block her, her candidacy i'm not sure if you remember but um, we're glad it's it's moved through now, and um, I look forward to seeing all the exciting things that would happen. Um, it's definitely not an easy time to become the WTO uh, leader, but um, I'm sure even despite difficulty, she'll do excellent things. Anko, any thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you that it's it's definitely not an easy time to to take on this role and this responsibility. But if there's anyone that's capable, um, we know just based of her her prior work and the prior task that she's taking on that she's more than capable to to lead that front. Very excited um, that Ngozi Okonjo-Iwila was chosen and very um, waiting anticipation to what she's going to do and to how she's going to to lead. Um, and Nigeria, of course, is very proud uh, to have her represent our country. Yeah. Uh, so on to our next story. We take it back to South Africa, actually. And <laughs> uh, this this story. Okay, so let's get into it. 
So ex-president Jacob Zuma has been on trial for a while, you know, so he's been accused um, 16 counts of fraud, racketeering, and the likes, just bad things committed by um, his staff while he was president. He and uh, a French arms company called Dales are due in court on May 17, um, 2020. They were due in court on May 17, 2021, but all of his team quit <laughs> less than a month before he was supposed to go on trial. So the firm representing, or that was supposed to represent him at the Mabuza attorneys, they filed a formal withdrawal notice from the high court and they refused to give reasons why for the withdrawal. So just all of them decided, ah, no, not this man, not us. And they're not answering calls or, or texts uh, to receive confirmation. They just said, nah, we're not doing this. So, you know, very interesting. So, yeah, so he, um, ex-president Zuma also came from the ruling ANC party um, as well. So it's it's one of the more famous political parties in South Africa that has borne many presidents. Um, and he was part of that, but he's kind of put a stain on that party with his actions while he was president. Akedi, any thoughts? Sure. Um, the ANC, despite its rich history in South Africa, struggled in recent times with um, lots of the people who have been elevated to leadership, quite frankly. Um, you know, to, Zuma's legal history is just... <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm almost exasperated by, like, you know, how storied it is and how, honestly, how it's been able to, to wax and weasel um, since since uh, since I think 2005, when the first cases happened, um, the major arms deal in 2005, where it was charged, um, up until now, where like you know, where I think I think he he's under trial, but also was arrested for refusing to testify at the commission into state looting. So it's like, guy, yeah, like come on, and then even. You know, the the broader, I think, point I think I was making at the beginning is that the ANC needs to do some soul searching to some degree. Um, It's critically important that to the South African people, they not only just represent the interests, but also represent the ideal motivations in terms of avoiding greed, avoiding corruption. All of that has to be rooted out. Um, and, you know, currently the, the, the buck is with Cyril Ramaphosa, who is himself facing um, different challenges, but but it's critically important that over the next um, the next couple of of years, um, significant reform is done to to focus on benefiting South Africans, um, um, removing the stains and and uh, or rebalancing for equality the 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 the, uh, the the evils done during apartheid and and focusing on empowering their people. Um, with education, with tools, with employment, so that um, South Africa and all South Africans are better off for it. Um, yeah, those are those are my thoughts. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Uh, Want to take us to the next story? Sure, sure. So our final our chat for today is our takeaway. Um, we've been discussing a variety of stories, um, both. 
optimistic or good. I don't want to say just both good and bad, but really just both good and bad about the African continent. And um, with the disruption that COVID has brought, um, it's critically important that you know that that we as a people start to do the things necessary to move forward. Um, I was having a recent conversation this year about like, hey, you know, what? How much does the age of a country influence? It's success long term. Um, and we then started debating what is the age of a country. And most of our countries are very young. Um, post apartheid South Africa um, is younger than I am. Um, Nigeria is at best 60 years old. If you look at the uh, civil wars and the resets that happen within countries, most of our countries are maybe about 50 years old. So, you know, we're nascent countries. Things like corruption happen in nascent countries. Things of, like lack of institutions happen in nascent countries. Some things will take time. Um, so, so one, let's not lose hope. But two, it's critically important that we start to be as intentional about as possible about creating a fair and just society um, where government and people empower each other and support each other for growth so that the African future that our, our children have is considerably better than the one we've, we've had to, to experience thus far. Um, I think that's what will happen. Um, I see amazing and optimistic Africans building uh, great and phenomenal things. Um, and as we move into 2022, I'm, I'm excited about the great and phenomenal news stories we're going to have here out of the African country and the continental people doing phenomenal, phenomenal things. Um, Oikon, would you like to share the plantain chip of the day? I sure will. Our plantain chip of the day is that the longest reigning Afri African president, the longest current reigning African president is Equatorial Guinea's Teodoro Obiang Nguweme, who has been in power for 43 years. So, you know, he puts to rest all of those other people that you think have been in power for a long time. And that is over four decades. Longest reigning president is Teodoro Obiang Nguyama of Equatorial Guinea. Yeah. And with that, we've come to the end of the episode. Thank you That's guys awesome. for listening. We love sharing the stories with you. Let us know if you have any thoughts, any comments. Please be sure to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms and or through our email or through our website, which is saveafricapod.com. Until next time.